or welcome back. My name is Marty Young, and I'm your host for the Primrose Chronicles podcast project that you're listening to. And I can't tell you how glad I am that you found us and decided to listen in. As you join me here for another tale of the old neighborhood, that's Primrose Avenue, northeast side of Indianapolis, circa 1950s and 60s, you've become a part of some 6,000 individuals who have joined this nostalgic adventure since we launched in March of 2022. Over those months, nearly 50 of those weekly excursions into the life and times of one baby boomer youth have dropped, and I've come to meet some pretty cool people who find TPC resonating with their own reminiscing about a simpler time, at least in their mind's eye. I've been accused of looking at this era, some 60 years removed, with somewhat rose-colored spectacles and drinking of my experiences from half-filled glasses not half-emptied. To those charges, I plead guilty. I can't help it. For me, the writing of these scripts and their recounting affords me a respite from some pretty harsh realities in a world that sometimes I'm having trouble making sense of. Okay, maybe it's just me, but I really don't enjoy considering the meaning of life in an increasingly more chaotic world. No, I'm not heightening my contrarian radar to do deep, thoughtful comparisons then and now. I just have chosen, at least for a few hours, three or four times a month, to step back from the headlines and the voices that, albeit creatively and cleverly and sometimes comedically, bombard me with TODAY in capital letters. And in their place, I try to conjure up a more positive state of optimism and inspiration. Some of my audio chapters have taken a historical tone about events and times that many of us experience together. In those cases, I've tried just to spin a yarn without comparing then and now. And I'll say it again. I'm very happy with my wife, my life, my kids, and most of my choices. It's just I'm quite amazed at the happenings that I've experienced up close and personal as a kid living in a nondescript neighborhood in a family more usual than un. Certainly nothing compared to Forrest Gump, but still, Most of my tellings are really about very mundane occurrences. Some could be labeled rites of passage, others shared only because I'm just looking carefully, although a bit askew, at the rather ordinary events of another day in the life of an eldest sibling. Wow, I think I put more thought into those last few paragraphs than any of the last 48 episodes. How incredibly philosophical of me. But please, don't hit the stop button yet. I'm done. I was just having a hard time transitioning from last week's interview with a renowned radio personality to an episode that takes us back to 4425 Primrose and sets the main character as the patriarch of that young clan, Don Young. But here goes, and thanks for hanging around. Let's see. It's the third week of June, and I'm writing with one eye on the calendar and Father's Day. My Mother's Day thoughts were somewhat disconnected from the all-out tribute like last season's homage to Mom, and I guess I'll be doing the same with this installment of TPC. I've been calling it the White Shirt Directive, but its clear purpose is to craft a tale that lets you a little more into the person who was my dad, and to offer evidence of his influence in my life yet today. See, by the time I entered my teenage years, the Primrose Young clan had reached its apex. 
My youngest brother was now almost three. Our family stood at seven, so the unit was complete. More important, we were also doing things more as a family. Of course, there were the station wagon rides to the downtown post office, the annual family outings to Riverside Amusement Park, the State Fair, Cataract Lake day trips, and the like. Most lasting, in my memory anyway, was the fact that Dad had begun to join us on Sundays at East 49th Street Christian Church and even moved into areas of service and leadership there. That was in no small part due to a friendship that he had developed with our preacher, Russ Blowers. That had blossomed as a result of our insurance agent, Charles Ward, an elder at East 49th Street, regularly but respectfully continuing to tell Dad in the course of other neighborhood conversation or insurance considerations that he thought Dad would really like Russ's messages and his genuine personality. To Dad's credit, I remember that Sunday when I came down from the room I shared with my brother upstairs, both he and I dressed in our Sunday best, as I remember it could be called our Sunday onlys. Most likely it was the suit we'd gotten that year, which we wore for the first time on Easter. White shirt, clip-on tie, dress shoes, brown or black that we'd polished, or at least wiped down the night before, in the living room after our Saturday night baths and during Bonanza. Now, if we timed it right, our bath ritual could coincide with missing at least part of the Lawrence Welk show, and for the most part, I was fine with that. About that time, though, I also began offering my turn in the tub to another in the brood, jumping back in the line for the bathroom after the lovely Lennon sisters had performed. Now, my interest in them had very little to do with their musical selection and tight vocal harmony. It was more about the same reason that I was still enthralled with Mickey Mouse Club and Annette during the week and Penny on Sky King Saturday morning. Well, as I am wont to do, I have again digressed and must again return to the Sunday when I was met with a surprise in the kitchen. Now, there was Mom, dressed in a very sophisticated outfit, as we always saw her in before Sunday church services, but there was also Dad. Now, he was usually up and at the kitchen table as we headed out the door to Sunday school and worship, but his attire most Sundays were more in keeping with tasks he had only Sunday to accomplish. Maybe it was a chore in the basement or under one of the cars or among an array of disassembled power lawnmower parts or any other number of honeydew assignments Mom had for him. Looking back, I think my mother accepted Dad's Sunday non-attendance decision, but not attending could not give rise to the creature comfort of TV watching. The radio could be on as accompaniment and background to his labors. Now, That was how I expected to see Dad dressed. But on this one Sunday, he wore a suit I had only seen him in to attend funerals and weddings and a few job interviews. It was a brown suit, narrow tie, white shirt, matching all of his sons in decked-out garb, and in the process, bringing a heightened sense of joy and pride to the love his wife had for him already and a newfound respect from his charges all five of them. In short order, we piled into the station wagon. Now, I don't recall which in the inventory it was, but we made the half-mile route to the parking spot on Kingsley under a shade tree because if we parked in the lot across from 49th Street, Dad said, the wagon would be an oven that wouldn't cool off on our short ride home. 
In fact, it was the only semi-negative comment I recall Dad uttering on his first reconnaissance of what would become his Sunday tradition. We older three kids scattered to our respective Sunday school rooms. Dad accompanied Mom and learned the routine for dropping off Bill and Jim before Mom proudly let Dad escort her to the basement to attend the AT&T adult Sunday school class. As it turned out, there were folks Dad knew from the neighborhood and even the Parker substation of CG and CUCO, where he went five days a week for work, Monday through Friday. He liked that Bible study and even went out the next week, bought his own Bible, complete with color pictures of Bible stories painted by the old masters and maps of Bible regions labeled according to the various eras of Bible history. He read it regularly between Sundays from then on, and he carried it faithfully and proudly with him every Lord's Day. He mentioned when we got home how Different it was from the little church he and my two aunts and uncle and granny and gramps had attended when he was a kid. Mostly different, smaller versus larger, but also that he not only understood, but enjoyed the sermon that Reverend Blowers had preached. For a while, it was Reverend Blowers, but before long, it was just Russ. You see, that Sunday I have given you so many details about, that led to many others thereafter. Pretty soon... Dad and Mom had their spots on the same pew every week. No, not to the point of running someone off who sat there first. But Don and Dorothy could usually be found pretty much in the same area of the sanctuary, even as their kids were in the nursery, children's church, in the balcony, or in the back. And once the benediction had been voiced by Russ from the back of the church, and the choir sang the closing amen, like most families, we gathered from the various corners of the facility and headed to the car. Most Sundays, Mom had put on a roast, low cook, for enjoying shortly after arriving home, or maybe we'd eat later if Mom planned on fried chicken or ham steak. When lunch would be later, it probably meant family would be joining us, most likely Grandpa Grant and Grandma Dindy, or later Grandma Dorothy. One thing for sure, our respective experiences at church would be a part of the dining table conversation. Younger kids would share the Bible stories they'd heard. Us older might also share the disruptive antics that had accompanied those stories by the other kids who were less attentive. Careful never to suggest that we'd had any part in those shenanigans. For mom and dad's part, there was never the slightest discouraging or disparaging words said about the service. Even if the soloist hit a sour note, or one of the members of the congregation around Mom and Dad had fallen asleep and was snoring something awful, or there were glaring typos in the bulletin that caused folks to chuckle, there was never anything said about Russ. In my years since as a preacher, I have become fully aware of the households where the Sunday meal was roast preacher, but that was never the main course or even the side dish at that house on Primrose in those early years attending 49th Street, and Dad was the one who made sure that was upheld. Seldom was the expectation violated, although squeaks and misspells and snores might be hinted at. One thing for sure, Russ while no longer reverend in title, would be revered in attitude and respect. Except for that one Sunday. A couple of years removed from that 
first exposure to the Sunday stuff for Dad. And I guess it's kind of difficult to understand in today's environment of looking at the heart of the worshiper and often ignoring the appearance. In those days and the times before, accurate or not, the clothing worn to attend church was designated for just that day of the week and was expected to reflect the heart of worship. Work clothes, school clothes, play clothes, they had their place, but it wasn't the first day of the week. Now, it wasn't a uniform, but it did have some uniformity to it. And at East 49th Street, the women and the girls were always in dresses, often petticoats, stockings for the ladies, or white ankle socks for the little girls, and special Sundays might also bring out the hats and bonnets and gloves. For us gentlemen, young and old alike, it was polished shoes, suit pants, and sport coat, dress tie, either long or bow, with a collared white front button shirt, preferably long sleeve, cufflinks, and matching tie clasp. Younger boys might have outfits that varied slightly, usually because the mother had found it in the pages of the Sears Roebuck catalog, and it looked cute on the model there, but regardless of age, it was all about Sunday best. And what was expected of the congregants was demanded of the church staff and choir. Now, that really wasn't a problem for the choir since they all wore matching robes and stoles in bright colors. But as befit the seriousness of the clergy, at our church anyway, a step down from other denominations that had clerical collars and even robes, our preachers had their own uniform, similar to the men who sat in front of them. Suits, not sport coat and slacks. Muted ties with matching pocket squares, and of course, a crisp white button up the front shirt. Now, hopefully, you can visualize any given Sunday scene and thereby understand how the events that this story centers around had short term repercussions and long term reverberations. For whatever reason, Dad had been upset since we came together after church to head home. He didn't joke, barely spoke, and in so doing, let us know we'd be best off if we steered clear of him for a while anyway. It was a Sunday dinner that had slow cooked most of the morning, so the family table could be set almost as soon as clothes were changed and hung up, and side dishes quickly heated in the stove, salad pulled out of the fridge, and a plate of sliced bread put in the center of the table. Now, we kids had our assignments to get that done while Dad sat in his living room recliner, still non-conversant. Usually, following church was a time when he was most talkative. What in the world was the matter? We were all called to the big Sunday feast, and after a perfunctory saying of grace, the various plates and dishes were either passed to Dad to fill or passed to the individual, each to take at least a spoonful under the watchful eye of Mom. Once that was done, the question came that all of us were thinking, but only Mom had earned the right to voice. Okay, Don, what's wrong? He was quiet for another moment, and then it all came gushing out, beginning with a question of his own. Did you see Russ this morning? What had Dad seen that we had missed? He was in a well-pressed blue dress suit, nothing suggesting a flim-flam huckster appearance or like a bright plaid or a seersucker that 
might suggest the message was just a ploy to build the offering coffers. None of us recalled his hair needing to be cut, nor was he wearing it in a style reflecting the youth culture and rock and roll idols. He was clean-shaven, as always. It was still spring, so the congregational deliberation that took place many weeks during the summer and the voice vote that granted him permission to remove his sport coat while delivering the message, that was not the issue. You see, even though it was a new building that had replaced the long-standing structure across the street that had been raised several years earlier for the parking lot, it was also not air-conditioned. And in the summer, it was equipped only by the cross breeze from hand-cranked side windows and fans, hand fans, supplied by the local funeral home. I know you can visualize them. They folded up like a Japanese variety. They were attached to a flat wooden stick, sat in the rack with the hymnal, the Bible, the attendance, and prayer cards, and the pew pencils until they were needed. When they were taken out and used, the sections fanned out, producing a reproduction of Da Vinci's Last Supper on one side, and the name, address, and phone number, and perhaps a photo of the local funeral director on the other. As the temperature rose, even with the windows cranked open on both sides for crossbreeze, members grabbed a fan or used their Sunday bulletins to stir the air and to create a bubble of cool at least around them. Choir members in robes on stage worked their fans furiously in the dog days of summer Sundays, but not so the preacher. A handkerchief, or maybe even the pocket square, could be used to mop a brow, but you knew it was warm when Russ asked if he could shed his coat. It was never denied, and it was often a sign for husbands to do the same, even if the wives had said no to the idea earlier in the service. So anyway, it wasn't quite yet warm enough for any of that deliberation at this dinner table on this Lord's Day. Dad finally broke the silence, and he voiced the offense that was so bothering him. Russ wasn't wearing a white shirt. There it was. A faux pas at the least, a full affront to the sanctity of Sunday worship in its entirety. Russ appeared to have succumbed to tasteful business style and worn a pastel blue shirt into the pulpit to deliver the word of God. Was it neatly pressed? Yes. Were all the buttons buttoned, even the one under his chin? Certainly. Did his tie complement the color nicely? Most certainly. And in fact, many of the more liberal in the fellowship remarked how nice he looked as they exited the vestibule and out to their cars. But my dad, he was still trying to get a handle on what in his life was sacred and what was secular, and he had determined that when it came to Sunday best, white shirts were assumed, and for the clergy it was expected. And Russ, his spiritual mentor and friend, had crossed over to the dark side. What was next? Sport coat and slacks, open-collared shirt with no tie, a simple short-sleeved polo shirt. Oh, the potential depravity. He was beside himself, but what was he going to do about it? Well, to his credit, it did not dominate the rest of the table talk, but he did not just let it go. No, he didn't request to meet with the church leaders to review the bylaws relating to dress code. 
He did not ruin the Blower's family Sunday meal, speaking the truth in love about this blind spot Russ had. He did not join some of the other guys getting in their last cigarettes on the back stoop of the church building the next Sunday, taking the opportunity to express to them his chagrin over Russ's recent pulpit presence. No, he actually did something much more long-lasting. He left the table, went down into the basement, and sat at his desk slash work table. He opened a drawer that actually was the front for a typewriter tray that rose to desk height when pulled out. Dad didn't have a typewriter, and that shelf held an upright metal file cabinet that held important documents, insurance policies, bank notes, bank books, guarantees, warranties, and the like. And he opened it and flipped past all those to the back and took out a single personal file folder labeled simply Funeral. He'd begun it a few years ago, Maybe the same time he came to a personal faith in Christ, I'm not sure. But he'd begun listing hymns that he'd like sung, scriptures he'd like read, individuals he'd like to have sing, and those he wouldn't. His choice for pallbearers, his insistence on a simple service, and the funeral home where he'd already made some initial plans. Maybe the advertising on those church fans had paid dividends in his case anyway. It was to that folder that he made an addition that Sunday. An addendum that would be honored over 35 years later when he went to be with his Lord and his family began the sobering process of making final arrangements. Early on, Russ Blowers was named as the officiant of that service. But on that day, in that basement, Dad had added, in a different pen color, a corollary to that assignment. And he is to wear a white shirt. Now, over the years, Dad softened on that point of clergy etiquette, as he did with so many other social mores. That happened as he raised a daughter and four boys. But eventually, Russ came to know of that long-past directive, and I think he and Dad had a laugh or two about it. But in those days after Dad's passing, we went to that file cabinet, Some things were not there that we thought would be, but at the bottom of the sheet containing funeral service plans, one instruction remained unaltered and made even more permanent by his now absence. Russ Blowers will preside, and he will wear a white shirt. And we laughed. We told Russ when he came by. And gracious as always, Russ said, of course. And when the day came to pay final respects, Russ shared wonderful promises of eternity and honest but heartfelt remarks about his friend and parishioner. And I don't remember much of what he said, but I don't think I was the only one who noted how he honored Dad with his simple white shirt. He was not alone in that simple honor. Most who heard about his over three-decade-old request were likewise attired. Each of his boys, his grandson, his brother-in-law, who served as pallbearers, all wore the same. Several of the sextet, in fact, had to purchase such a shirt just for that occasion, since their own wardrobe certainly did not contain such. Now, Dad's been gone from this earth over 25 years, but this Sunday is Father's Day, and I will once again pay a very obvious tribute to Pop. 
Every time I've attended a worship service, two dozen plus as a preaching pastor and now as a member of a very contemporary fellowship, I mean, think Hawaiian shirts and shorts and jeans and even ball caps, I will again stick out like a sore thumb, proudly declaring why my appearance this Father's Day is unlike the other 51 Sundays in the calendar year. Among the festival of color reflecting the joy of the worshipers assembled, I will be in my white, collared, long sleeve shirt, buttoned to the top, serving as a backdrop for a necktie in a four-in-hand knot, singing and praying and listening like the rest, but attired uniquely for the gathering. Oh yes, the necktie, though, will be flamboyantly colorful, unlike most of Dad's wardrobe. And there's a reason for that, too. The tie that I have worn every Father's Day since his passing is from the Rush Limbaugh collection, himself a flamboyant conservative radio personality. Dad didn't miss Sunday worship, and he seldom missed Russ's daily three-hour commentary. When I'm asked about my unusual outfit, I explained the white shirt directive, not as lengthy as I'm telling it to you today. And then I explained the tie by saying, Rush Limbaugh was the only person dad may have believed more than God. Obviously, that wasn't true, but he was a fan. And I imagine my dad would be smiling himself at my comment. So look at the Primrose Chronicles Facebook page this Father's Day Sunday. I'll take a selfie on my way out the door and post it. It will be one of only a few colored photos I post there so you can get the full effect. Diane and I are at a new church this Sunday, so I expect I'll repeat the story a few times. Maybe I'll just share the link to this episode and those who really care can listen in like you have. Facebook may also be the place where I share the most recent reactions. Probably not before I slip into the side door of the old homestead my spot at the table, smelling the roast, and smiling afresh at Dad's exasperation toward a man of the cloth's dress coat. In the midst of all these memories, I may have a slight problem with allergies. I mean, that has to be where teary eyes come from, right? But for a little while, I'll be back on Primrose Lane, or Avenue. Next week's effort will focus on the strange menagerie of animals and insects, that I held in my care. The title is another tired working of the Willie Nelson song that I've parodied frequently. Consider it a way of honoring Mr. Nelson's 90th birthday. Heck, I'll honor anybody older than me these days. The working title, To All the Pets I Had Before. Until then, blessings.